Oh, hello and welcome to the Gross Profit Podcast. My name is James Kennedy, CEO at ProcurementExpress.com, where we try to take the hassle out of managing spend for SMBs. And this week I am joined by a fellow Irishman and a bit of a theme on the podcast, Mike McGrath, who is going to be talking to us about some tips for managing costs and drinks businesses. And Mike is someone who's eminently qualified to talk about this through his experience, which is why I asked him to come along today. I know that a number of our customers are either in logistics or in the food and drinks business, either in hospitality or through distribution. And I'm, I thought it'd be valuable to hear his thoughts. So hi, Mike, how are you today? I'm great, James. Thanks very much. And uh, great to be on the show. Maybe you can just introduce yourself a little bit to the listenership and tell us a bit about your background. Absolutely. So my background has been sourcing and procurement uh, for nearly 15 years now. And like you mentioned there, specifically for food companies, uh, food producers, buyers of food production, from food production, even catering companies, we've been working exclusively with, with those for the last five years. And all those tasks and, and challenges have been related to sourcing and procurement. Unfortunately, over the last number of years, procurement and supply chain have been problematic for many, particularly in the food sector. So it's been, we've been busy, we've been active, and uh, a lot of the work we do at the moment is on Quega.com. So Quega is a sourcing platform used for supplier discovery and sourcing, uh, and, and uh, that's where you can go find more information after as well. Okay, and Quega, who does it serve? Who's an ideal customer? Uh, how do you spell it, first of all? And then how do you, and how, and who's an ideal customer? Yeah, so Quega is an Irish word, but we spell it phonetically. It's spelled K-W-A-Y-G-A, Quega.com. And we have buyers and suppliers on Quega. We have supermarket buyers, catering buyers. We have large food producers uh, in buying roles who are looking for supply chain partners. So they're looking for, uh, if they're in a supermarket or a catering company, looking for finished goods. If they're in a food producer, they're looking for raw ingredients, packaging, etc. So buyers would post requests. We also have a smart technology in the middle, which makes the matches, suggestions. We help with uh, multilingual conversations, etc. So at the core of everything we do is is food producers, food and drinks. And uh, that's that's what's happening on Quake.com. And would you describe that as a, is it an RFP platform? Is it where you can put up a project and ask for bids for, for sources? It's technically, it's actually an RFI. It's, it's looking, it's a request for information. We're looking for expressions of interest. We're not looking for fixed prices or contracts to be negotiated on the platform. It's really about supplier discovery. It's that early stage in the procurement process where somebody has a opportunity or a problem or needs to find a new supplier quickly. That's where they go to Quake.com. Okay. And uh, on the supplier side, would that be a farm, a dairy? Uh, what's a who would be a, a someone who should consider registering at Quagga.com? Typically, our suppliers are, are food producers that have a finished good uh, or an ingredient. So it, it's different stages in the supply chain, and there's nobody too big or too small. We have publicly listed companies like Aramark. And we have small local farms that are producing dairy and cheese uh, locally in West Cork as well. So we have everybody in between. Okay. And the people looking to source products will be the best person, like on the other side of the equation, you're looking to purchase those finished products. Who would be an ideal person to consider Quega.com? At the moment, we actually have a lot of supermarkets, grocery stores uh, globally. So we have 
uh, most of the largest supermarkets in Ireland and the UK. We have a number from the US who are particularly interested in European produce. Uh, and we have buyers in the Middle East as well who are, are, we've actually, what we've done is we built up a very large database of European food producers. So just because of our location and proximity uh, and, and the strength that it European food has globally. So buyers in Europe are interested and also we have buyers outside of Europe too. Okay, great. So uh, we're going to talk today about food and drinks businesses and purchasing, not necessarily for larger businesses, um, but you know for different sizes, I guess. I, procurement in my mind and purchasing is something you often associated with huge multinationals, much bigger businesses. But is that also the case, or is there is there is there too much of overhead involved for an SMB or a mid-sized business to think about their purchasing? No, I don't think it's an overhead. I think there, there's a change in terminology. Like big companies have a procurement function, a procurement system, a procurement team, a procurement manager. Small companies have someone that's buying, but they're also the financial controller, the owner manager the operations manager, they have another job as well as everything else. So I think that's all that that, that changes. And the size and procurements might change in size and scale, but in terms of the, the time available for somebody to, to do it, it it's, it's all relative. Uh, so the common denominator is everyone, everyone is buying, everyone's dealing, dealing with third-party suppliers and any assistance that we can help them to, to source the right supplier or to improve how they're managing those supplier relationships is what we deem as procurement. Okay. So each customer needs to decide themselves or whether whether it's worth putting the effort into this. So like if I'm if it's a low, high volume, low margin, low, low cost item, maybe it's not worth looking at your purchasing process. Like at what stage should you decide Okay, when should you know that, hey, in my business, I need to carve out time for looking at our purchasing process? Should it be all businesses or are there genuinely some businesses that shouldn't bother and it's only for some? Well, if there's a business that's very profitable, high margin, high growth, has plenty of cash, then they can turn a blind eye to procurement. But uh, <laughs> I think most businesses are watching the resources, especially at the moment. So irrespective of the size of the business, even down to a small business, uh, less than 10 people, or even a startup with one or two people, they have to be more. They have to be as conscious of how they spend money and the suppliers they spend money with than Fortune 500s, you know, in terms of the risk to their business. Uh, even more so, I would say, to a smaller company. So uh, identifying what we would say as strategic suppliers, that's that's critical to the business, who are the ones that you you really depend on, who, who are critical, what are they doing that's unique. That's where you need to invest in those relationships. Also, if you're spending a lot of money, food companies would spend a lot of money on energy and packaging and logistics as examples. Those areas, there's lots of competition in the market. There's lots of uh, alternatives. So there, you need to look at uh, what do you what do you want? Because the packaging and the or the shipment provider, logistics provider that you need is quite different to the food business down the street. Even though you might be producing the same product, it it it, 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 it doesn't fit. Like you need to look at really internal your internal systems, processes, credit credit terms, service you're going to get. And you need to match your requirements to what's available on the market, and you need to monitor that then and make sure you, you, that's delivered. So that takes time, and that and that's that's buying, that's buying right, that's doing the best, and that's technically that's called procurement. So it really depends for each business as a buyer; it's it's, it's quite unique, and, and depending on what value they want to extract from their suppliers. Hmm. 
And uh, I mean, we're, we're talking today about a workshop that you've previously given. Uh, who, who came along? Who was interested? Uh, what was the audience you were talking to who were interested in improving their purchasing? So thankfully, this was a local workshop um, in, in Ireland. There's a government support agency called Local Enterprise Office. So the Local Enterprise Office was running a workshop for food and drinks producers on improving their, their supply chain resilience, improving their cost base, including the suppliers that they're operating and working with. Um, particularly this part of the world, Brexit has impacted a lot of those supply chains. Unfortunately, the Ukrainian uh, war and invasion in Ukraine has impacted those supply chains. So uh, now is a good time for companies to assess the risks there in supply chain and, and, and improve those. And that's where the workshop uh, came into place. Okay. And one of the, the things you started off with, which was um, pro- you know, profitability impact. So what the, what is the concept of profitability impact? It's just, I, I guess, the most expensive things are the most have the most impact. Is that right? Not actually. It's it's slightly different. It's it's actually looking at the importance of cost reduction and, and savings. Um, if you take your, your product that you sell for a hundred dollars as an example, a fictional product that you sell for a hundred dollars every day, um, if the raw materials ingredients are for fifty percent of that, they're costing fifty dollars, and the labor and the overhead is forty five dollars, you're left with five five dollars, five percent profit in, in this fictional product. What we do from a procurement point of view and cost point of view is you're going to look at the purchasing costs as a starting point because it's the largest area spent. And if you can reduce those purchasing costs by 5%, if you can run a tender, if you can generate more competition, you can find new suppliers, if you can be smarter in terms of how good, if you can reduce your purchasing costs by 5%, it actually will increase your gross profit margin by 50%. So that 5%, $5 will increase to $7.5 uh, for each individual item. So it just shows the importance. And this is the, the this is what I was doing at the start of the workshop, was getting people to focus on this. Because a lot of businesses spend so much time focusing on growth, on sales, on expansion. And I was looking at these numbers before for many businesses. And if you, to get a 50% increase in your profit margin, you can increase your sales by 50% or you can reduce your cost by 5%. And the 5% cost reduction is often ignored. But at the end of the year, you look at the bank balance and it's, it, it, it has the same results. But obviously growing a business's sales by 50% is, is a significant growth and, 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 that, and that's not as easy as the 5% savings. So that's what that profit impact is. Well, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people who maybe started a business themselves are naturally sales animals and that's what it always looked like. You look at growing the top line, not necessarily, and maybe this is where companies bring in operations manager who's someone who's able to focus at these items and say actually have more of an impact on the entire sales team with a few phone calls in some cases or like not a lot of effort. So it is overlooked. So where do people, what should, where should they get started? You know, if, if business wants to reduce their costs, where should they start? Where's the place to kick off? I mentioned earlier, categorizing the suppliers in terms of uh, those that you're spending a lot of money with and, and, and where there's competition in the market. Um, but all, on the opposite side of that, if you're spending a lot of money and there's less competition or what your what supplier doing is quite unique, or if you're getting, if your raw materials, if your grain or your milk is coming from a local area co-op and there isn't a, a competition or isn't alternatives for for 100 miles then then you're going to fix it and you need to improve that relationship and, and see how if you can improve terms so in terms of cost reduction it's looking 
at the market and your spend, looking at your PL, looking at your list of costs and identifying three or four areas where you're spending the most amount of money and then looking at how that money is being spent in terms of what the market is offering. Is there others out there uh, that, that could generate some competition? Is it time to refresh what we're looking at? One thing that we've noticed with some food producers with regards packaging is that when they start out as a startup, you'll source packaging locally, but it might the packaging mightn't be produced locally. It's, it's just true. I won't say broke, but maybe a packaging company doesn't have the full gamut and full all the equipment. So they will purchase that packaging until they grow significantly. And over time, they should be dealing direct with the, the core packaging producer. So that some of those relationships don't progress as much as they should. Uh, again, people are focused on new customers, uh, but they don't keep an eye on the suppliers. And, and sometimes you, you outgrow your supplier. Sometimes you need you need to look at your a next level up in terms of your supply base as well. Um, and that takes a strategic look. That does take time. And again, that comes down to good procurement. So I started off uh, selling at a small level. I went to the marketing company down the road who designed the package for me and organized everything. And then actually they're just getting it in from China, but I never... Uh, sort of went any further than uh, I just still working through the the local agent. Exactly, and and absolutely starting off that makes perfect sense. But there is a time when 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 the packaging is coming in pallets and half containers and full containers. You need to take a sit back here and go, okay, where can we buy the smarter? Because that that savings will increase the gross profit that we mentioned at the start. Hmm. So so who should be responsible in terms of the organization? Like whose problem should the, the net gross margin be if you were to look at the org chart and how do you figure that out? That's a great question and it, it varies by company uh, depending on the company structure, the owner's involvement, the, the, the executive, the C-suite we'll say in terms of responsibilities there. Um, a tool that we've used for this is called the RACI matrix and, and RACI, R-A-C-I is, is available on Google or I can email it to people afterwards where we have a matrix setting out the role, roles and responsibilities of the tasks of each procurement. So you mentioned packaging there. What are the steps involved in buying packaging for 2023 in terms of looking at your spec, your branding, to, to engaging different suppliers in a tender, getting quotations, putting a contract in place. So there's 10, 12 steps involved in an in, in individual purchase in an SMB. So we set out the responsibilities. So not everyone, not one person will, will look after the entire piece. They'll be consulting with the marketing team. They'll be talking to supply chain. They'll be talking to operations to make sure that this new proposed packaging or the new, the new solution is going to fit into the overall production process. So there's different people involved in different stages. Uh, so we set out in the RACI matrix who's responsible for each step, who needs to be informed, who's got been uh, consulted on it and ultimately who's accountable and setting out those responsibilities for a small business it eventually saves a lot of time and money because it's clear who's doing what and as I mentioned earlier for SMBs the financial controller the operations manager the general manager uh, they have plenty of tasks to be doing but setting out these responsibilities and delegating some of those um, will help the procurement piece move along and get better results and do have uh, assessing uh, spending enough time to allow the due diligence to take place to find those better suppliers and better options for save money. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I can think actually how I can see easily how it can fall between the stools. We had a situation recently where we had a contractor that was actually working for someone else at the same time they were working for us, even though they weren't supposed to be. And 
it fell between two managers. They were like, well, hold on. I thought he was managed by someone else. And I thought that was not my responsibility. And everyone, no one, no one looked for it because everyone else thought someone else was looking after it. So it's just to get that down in black and white. And I guess you bring that up then at the annual employment review or in the terms of contract, or you bring it up as part of the review so everyone's clear on what they're responsible for in terms of spend. Absolutely. And that's a good example. And it happens every day um, where people suspect or uh, believe or assume, you know, the word assume stands for making an ass out of you and me. And that, happens, <laughs> that mistake happens a lot, unfortunately. So setting those responsibilities out and be open to changing them after some time if, if needs be and making sure that the right people are managing the right suppliers to make sure you're getting value every day of the week. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because you, you, you think you, you would imagine that like you think, well, all of this stuff sounds kind of, isn't it a bit too, uh, let's put it conservative, but it happens to absolutely every business. I don't think I know anyone who hasn't actually let it, you know, from a credit card charge that shouldn't be there all the way up to, you know, having an employee that should, you know, a ghost employee, so to speak, in some cases, it all happens and it happens a lot more. And I guess we don't really talk about it because it's quite embarrassing if it does happen. No one really wants to go around telling you how you made these mistakes, but it's kind of needless. And in our case, you know, the profit impact was, you know, 30, 30 grand or so in the last year where, and it can very, very easily happen if it's not set out. Definitely. And like you mentioned, there are examples that we hear about. There's a lot more examples we don't hear about in this area. Um, and a simple process like this, like, 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 like running a lot of good businesses, but don't put a good process in place. Have people take responsibility and measure it and, and monitor it and, and, and be open to change it and, and everything will run smoothly after that. So what are the other risks that people should be thinking about from their suppliers? Like what, what can go wrong? Like obviously just not delivering or having a second job in that case or what other thing, what are the most common ways that people make mistakes in dealing with existing suppliers? Items not being delivered is a challenge. Supply chain problems over the last number of years have been highlighted in the media and and, and, and in businesses everywhere. That's a challenge and where people had a dependency on one supplier or they were fixed and fixated with one supplier and didn't, didn't take a look at the market, didn't know how to react, couldn't find an alternative quite quickly. And that's something that I, I feel is, is, is a challenge. And even though we're a couple of years beyond COVID now and the, and the disruption in supply chains, it, it, it happens quite easily where people get quite comfortable. And I'm not saying you need to continue changing your suppliers. That's not it. It's about keeping your suppliers uh, honest. It's about get, getting value from the relationship and being aware of what's happening in the market. You you often learn more from your non-suppliers in your certain situations. You, the, the, the innovation, uh, the ideas, what's evolving in the market. You, you can get good information. And good procurement people, buyers that are on the, on the money in terms of really doing a good job, are constantly speaking to other suppliers in the market, going to events, going to trade shows, networking, finding out what's happening in their category to make sure that they're a step ahead and bringing those ideas to their incumbent in some situations or asking them how how they can work together. That's one thing as well that is lacking in SMBs as as one area, just in terms of risks. We're talking here about ideas and suggestions and improving relationships, but even having an agreement, even having a simple contract, a service level agreement in place, I think it's becoming more and more important and it's been it's been asked for and it's been uh, required in more and more engagements, but setting out the objectives because like the, the, the problem is you see is people change. Yeah. Uh, you bring a 
supplier in and uh, six months later, the sales rep that you're dealing with has moved on uh, or the person buying has moved on, but having a little contract, an agreement, and it has to, it can only be a one-page, two-pager. It doesn't have to be a 200-page document. Keep it simple, set out the scope, set out the boundaries, have the terms, conditions, and have a review period. Managing those relationships um, uh, simply and, and uh, is, is an effective way forward. And I'd say that's a gap that uh, is being closed. Thankfully, it's improving, but it's an area where a lot of small businesses, particularly in the food and drink sector, would do good to invest some time in that area. Yeah, and I guess there's there's very a lot of costs where you, you think you don't have an impact. We were looking recently at FX costs, and you can get you can agree FX rates with a even a low cost provider, but those spreads can wander over time, and it's very easy to lose something like that, and it can you know, amount to tens of thousands of euros if you're buying things from abroad. You're using an FX provider. They're quoted something at the start. You keep using them, and next thing, the spread wanders, and straight away, you know, a lot of stuff like this. You just need maybe to have on a checklist once a year or something. Some of these things could be just checked. It doesn't take long, and could have a big profit impact there. Definitely, and there's so much innovation in fintech. There's different solution providers, innovation happening around currency, as one small example in the whole fintech area. So um, staying on top of it, seeing what's happening available out there, and like you said, monitoring it, making sure that you're continuing to get value throughout the lifetime of the contract is very important. Okay, well, uh, thanks very much, Mike. It's been uh, good for a refresher. I like the idea of the racy matrix. So where can people get in touch with you to get a copy of that? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. If you want to make a connection with Mike McGrath on LinkedIn, uh, or you could even send an email as well. If there's the race metrics you want, I have a spreadsheet version. I'm happy to share it. Um, Mike at Quaga.com. Uh, that's K-W-A-Y-G-A.com. Great. Thanks very much, Mike. James, it was a pleasure. Thank you again. All the best. So that wraps it up for another episode of the Gross Profit Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts.